and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The plaque left on the moon by Apollo 11 reads in part, We came in peace for all mankind. This was a human achievement, but we couldn't all go. So we sent Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins in our place. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8, Trusting in God's Sovereignty, with the fifth part of this message entitled All Things, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Romans 8. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Romans chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 28. Before I read this, two questions that reveal a Christian's understanding of their salvation. And I'd like for you to listen to these questions and answer privately to yourself. No, no outward show of hands or anything. But, but here's the question that will reveal your and my understanding of the salvation as Christians we say we enjoy. Seeker, this will be helpful for you too. So listen as these questions are asked. Number one question. When did God begin his work of salvation in your life? Put a time to when he began his work of salvation in your life. Now, if you answered that question and said, well, I I can remember it was when I was a, a very young child. I was seven or eight, blah, 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 and you began to tell your story, or maybe it was when I was 20, 21, Uh, This is what happened. Somebody entered into my life experience and began to uh, explain to me the truth of what's called now the gospel. And uh, the stories would be so very different, but many, 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 many stories. In fact, I think particularly outside this church and churches that teach as we do, I think that most people would pick some time in their personal life experience that they began to see God's work and God began that work of salvation. Now, if that's what you think, then I've got great news for you because there is another understanding that you have not yet been exposed to that's going to give you a much, much, much richer appreciation and understanding of your salvation that's going to further your love for Christ just by understanding your salvation when it began long, long, long before you and I ever came into this world. Here's the second question. Let's say you said, I do believe that my salvation began before my life on this earth, which is what I'm convinced is taught in Scripture. It's what you're learning in this series. And so assuming you do believe that, exactly what did he do? What is my understanding of his work in eternity past on my personal behalf as a Christian. And if you say, I really don't know much about that. I understood that it did start beforehand, but what I don't really know, let me tell you again, good news, because now there's another great margin for a big leap in your Christian experience. And so that's what we're going to study now in our text, Romans 8, 28 through 30. If you have your Bibles, I always invite you, bring them, electronic or not, have them open where you can look and see uh, verses around them and so forth. But if not, you have this on your bulletin. Also, we have this on the screen. So I'm going to read this now, Romans 8, 28, and then 29 and 30, which will actually answer the question about what exactly has God done for me? 
that even begins before I came into this earth. And it goes like this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now that's great news, but how did that happen? There's an infallible process we've been looking at, and it's described in verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, as every week, and I'm going to keep doing this through the series, repetition is our friend. Take the bulletin just to eye it again and put everything in perspective. As you see, four secrets and so forth. Number three is this entire series. It's a sub-series of a larger series we do over the years on Romans. We happen to be in chapter 8, and we have four different series, uh, or actually I think three different series covering these four different uh, points. We're talking about God's sovereignty as an overarching subject matter. Now, in order to trust God's sovereignty and to understand his work of salvation, then I suggest these as an outline, three presuppositions to begin. And when we talk about that, fully embracing the belief that God works all things together for good for his people, it presupposes certain things to be true. And so every place you see a check on your outline, it changes each week. When you see a check, that means we've covered that. You can go back on podcasts and you can get that. But here is what we would put three presuppositions. One, God is sovereign. Number two, God has a perfect plan. Number three, God engineers an infallible process to assure his perfect plan. Now, that process is going to be described in point three of this outline And we're going to be calling it what has been called before the golden chain of salvation with five links. And that's where we're really headed in this series in its climax. But number two, three foundations. Okay, we got to presuppose that. Now we got to build on these three foundations. The belief of God's sovereignty, belief in man's free will that we covered in the last message of the series. And now this week, we start exploring the idea of man's fall. My opinion, believe it strongly, that this is the pinnacle of all because it is only in understanding the fall of man that we will ever, ever, ever be able to embrace and appreciate and certainly to understand the wonderful salvation he has given to us. So I could take the salvation that he's done and talk about as scripture would teach fully to people and it would mean very little. In fact, it wouldn't be accepted by most and this is why most reject this teaching because today there is no strong teaching on the idea of the fall. If we don't understand where we really are, you can't appreciate where we've been taken. And so that is this subject matter that we call the fall. Let me, uh, just to end the outline, number three, let's put up those five links of this chain. One is foreknowledge, one is predestination. Now those things are going to take place before we ever come into this earth, before the foundations of this earth. 
And then we're going to be talking about calling, justification, and glorification. So those are the five chains where now once we hit this pinnacle subject matter of the fall, we've got our foundation built. Now and only now can we safely say, okay, let's talk about subjects like foreknowledge and predestination. Now, previously regarding free will, a quick, quick, quick overview. We looked at two questions. The first was this, can God be sovereign over man and man still have a free will? The answer was yes, and you understand why it would be yes if you understand the difference between freedom and autonomy. So go back on that one. The Christian community today has assumed when they hear free will, they think of autonomy. That is not what we have. That can never go with the sovereignty of God. But we showed how free will can easily marry to God's sovereignty. Those in no way will contradict. Second question we looked at, don't all people have the free will to choose or reject Jesus? And we said, absolutely. All free choices are determined by one's desires. So never is anyone going to make a choice with free will that goes against their desire. And we illustrated how, well, what about this? No, it was a, it was a bigger desire. And you turned away what you did desire for something you desire more. We always choose according to desire. And so I think Jonathan Edwards and the two definitions that he gives of natural and then moral ability uh, really helped clarify this a lot. This is what he says. He says this uh, human ability is the ability that all humans have to make the choice they desire. And that we have never seen violated. Every person always experiences that. But we need to understand the difference between moral ability. Moral ability is the ability to choose Jesus. It's the ability to obey outwardly and with right motives to the glory of God. That was lost at the fall. And so 1,500 years after Jonathan Edwards has given us these definitions in the 1800s, Augustine said it this way, fallen man has a free will, but he lacks moral ability. Where did he lose the moral ability? It was at the fall. Now, what do we mean when we talk about the fall? Well, the fall is referring to the man Adam when he sinned, and then his wife Eve, she sinned. And we look at that experience of turning from God as the fall of man because at this moment the rest of mankind will be marked in the same way as their four parents we will all be sinners in fact we come into this world as sinners and that's going to raise some questions that we have to answer this week so let's look let's look at uh, the fall now i have talked about the fall here uh, under a little caption uh, when I talk about the full gospel we talk about the gospel really is we lost it all he did it all we get it all well the fall is when we lost it all so here we lost two things at the fall now I'm counting on you being a lot a lot better than the last service okay because <laughs> I'm going to give you a question and I am I mean, my self-confidence and security and my self-image is all very, very shattered this morning 
by the early congregation. I'm really having some struggles. I need you to mend me, okay? So here is the question. At the fall, we lost two things. I'll give you the first, and by me giving you the first, you tell me the second. I've taught it in this church so often, so many times, talk about it a lot. At the fall, man lost his perfection, and he lost his... I'm still wounded. I'm hurting now. This is getting worse. Now, I don't want to go home totally defeated. So, it begins with a G. Okay, this, no. The second letter is an O. Double O? Goodness. I knew I was teaching well. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Golly. Anyway, Jeff, blessings to you, man. You got a... You got a tough case here to deal with, but you'll do okay, all right? All right, so we lost our goodness. See, that's the problem. The fact it doesn't even come to our mind that, of course, I lost my goodness. In fact, that hits us strange. Wait, I lost my goodness? Next week, one of the questions that we'll address is this whole idea of, but how can you say there are no good people? But the truth of Scripture is we did lose our goodness. I mean, that's why Romans 3 says there's none righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek for God. That'd be a good thing. We don't do good things. So in light of that, we're going to look at three of five questions on the subject matter of the fall. And so let's look at the first one. And the first one is simply this. If man lacks the moral ability to choose Christ, is it fair for God to hold man responsible for what he cannot even do? Now, there's a seminary professor, without using a name, a seminary is simply a graduate school of theology. This is what this person writes. I am not a Calvinist for this reason, because I do not believe that God brings some people kicking and screaming against their wills into the kingdom of God, while he excludes others from the kingdom of God who desperately want to be there. Well, now, folks, I'm a Calvinist, but I, I don't agree with that. No, there will never be anyone when they die and they stand before the Lord are going to be able to say this. You know, Lord, I wanted you, not just what you offered, I wanted you. I wanted eternity with you. I truly wanted it, but I realized I was never, I was never chosen by you. I wasn't predestined to be here. And so I miss out. That will never, ever happen. Biblically speaking, no such thing. Nor will there be anyone who enters into the presence of God and says, please don't make me go into heaven. I didn't want you and I don't want but you. I know I was predestined to be here and okay, I guess I got to go. And that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So you need to understand that. Now, man is responsible for two things. One, we have forfeited our moral ability by a free choice. Wait, 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 wait. That's because of what Adam did. You're right. That's why we're going to look at another question about Adam. But, okay, that's one moral choice we made that happens to be wrong. Second is, we have chosen as non-Christians not to follow Jesus. And so that is why we would say we are held responsible for our sin. 
Now, I want you to understand, I'm going to say it again. I said it in a previous message in this series, and that is this. If God had never sent his son, it would not be an injustice of God. It, is, it has nothing to do with injustice. It wouldn't be wrong. To say it would be wrong for him not to give us Jesus is to say that the gift of Jesus is not a gift. It's not by grace. It's a, it's a matter of justice that he had to give us his son. That is not the story of Christendom at all. So please don't think of it like that. Or you might think of it this way. Before the fall, when Adam and Eve, before their sin, they had the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. Once they had sin, now post-fall, all of mankind comes into this world with only the ability to sin. We can do what we see as looking like good things, but the motive behind it is not a good motive. And that's what we'll discuss next week to understand that. But the idea is now, we only have the ability to sin. It's called total depravity. It does not mean that man is as bad as he could be. We know that some people are worse than others in the way they disobey more flagrantly. But there's no part of us that is not sinful in what we do. So that's called total depravity. Let me illustrate it. Every illustration breaks down, and this one certainly does at one point, but the illustration may help you get this. Imagine that there is a tour group that's going to see the Grand Canyon. They arrive that day, they get, they get uh, their little briefing, what they're going to do, and they get toward the walk, and it says, now we're about to head to the, to, the, to the canyon rim, but you need to know that today, many of you have heard, today is going to be an eclipse, and it's going to be a major, major, major eclipse. It's going to be a dangerous one. You cannot look at the sun. And so as it begins to darken and all, there'll be a temptation, but don't do it because if you look, you will be blinded in this eclipse. I want you to see the beauty of this canyon. And so on the way, sure enough, here comes the eclipse. It begins and well into the eclipse, one person on the tour says, I just can't stand it. I'm not so sure that's true. I got to see it. I want to be able to say, I looked at it and they look up and they find themselves blinded for life. Now, the tour guide is going to keep his promise. He said, I am going to take you and offer this sight to you. And so nothing changes. And so they go to the, to the rim. And the one blinded stands there too. But here's the thing. The blind one can't see. The others can. But, but, but he can't see. Now, it's very similar in the Christian life. And what happened? God said, if you sin, you will die. And so man says, oh, I'm going to sin anyway. And so he does what he's told not to do, take of the fruit from the garden. He does that, and therefore he dies. There was nothing taken away from him. There was something he gave up in his own choice. Now, here's where it breaks down. If you wanted to follow the biblical line of what it's like, it would be this person looks up at the sun and is blinded and then gets to the, to the rim and would say, I don't care that I can't see. I don't even want to see that canyon. I could care less about the canyon. I don't think it's that pretty anyway. Who cares? That would be the reality. 
unless God were to give sight, which is going to be where we go further in this series. Now, actually, man does not want the things of God unless God does something for us. And there's what we'll be studying. Let's look at question number two. Question number two about man's fall. If man lost his ability to choose Christ because of Adam's sin, how can all people be held responsible for what Adam did? Well, that's the big question. I meet with people over lunch constantly about just sharing with them, helping them investigate the Christian faith. This last week, I'm meeting with a young 30-something year old and and Christianity's all new in his exploration he's looking at it and this week we got to this subject matter and as we started talking about it it was like this huge you know aha but here's what preceded it I said if I'm sitting where you're sitting then I want to know the answer to this question if we're in such a bad condition and and it it, how how did that happen I, I I came into this world and I'd say, well, it's, it's because of a, a, a man, Adam, and what he did, and now we are what he's done. And he goes, what? How does that make sense? Well, the answer is because, oh, he represents us. That did not make it desirable for him to hear, but I made it clear, okay, he represents us. Here's how we as Christians see it in the Word of God. In Romans chapter 5, we see this in verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, honestly, to yourself, answer, do you like that? Does that feel good to you? I come into this world as a sinner because he did this as my rep. Well, there's good news because there's another side to the equation. And that's really told in the verses that follow, verses 17 through 19. I'll just do 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. He is known as the second Adam. So I said to my friend, you want to understand the Christian faith, listen to this. There is this representation by Adam, but there's also a representation by a second Adam, Jesus. And after I'd explained how we get the righteousness of Christ, as much as we get the sin of Adam, That when we choose to come into this family, we get the full righteousness of Christ. And you don't ever earn it. You could never do it. And that actually when you come into his family, you will be treated as righteous as Jesus himself is righteous. Man, I wish you could have seen him. He looked at me and he said, oh, wow. I get that now. That, that's really important. That's really, I said, it is important. You need to know that. Now, I think the question that you and I need to really ask ourselves in our understanding of God's word as Christians, do we see ourselves as victims of sin? Or do we see ourselves as 
the perpetrator. Let me tell you, you think of yourself as the victim? Here's how you take your problems. Well, this should never happen to me. All this brokenness, all this stuff, and all death, and all this pain and suffering, that should never, never happen to me. I'm a victim of sin. You think of yourself as a perpetrator, and you actually can think like this. Why are not worse things happening to me than the bad things that are? Because I'm the perpetrator. I'm not the victim. Now, we have to go to one more question. Here it is, number three. Is it fair to pay the consequence for the sin of a representative we did not choose? That's a very important question to answer. You know, I think there's perhaps a little arrogance in the question itself because uh, it assumes that, hey, had I picked my own representative, if you're going to use this representative system, you know what? I, I would have probably picked a better one. Well, now keep in mind, this is Almighty God who does everything perfect, so his choice was perfect, and his choice was Adam. And now in Adam, we all die. Now, here, here is the, 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 the thing that is so hard to get because you and I are Western people. By being a Westerner, we, we think individualism. But the Bible comes out of an Eastern mindset, and the Eastern mindset was the biblical mindset, which was that of, hear this, corporate personality. It's where God treats a corporate entity as a family. And so that becomes the one that's represented by the man Adam, where it's the human race, the family of the human race. So what happens to him, Adam, is true of us. Now, we say, I don't like that. And as I told my friend over lunch, I said, oh, you're going to love this once you hear the end of the story. Because I want you to assume that there were no corporate personality. There was nothing like that. Now, the Bible certainly says there is corporate personality. That's why you have the story of Achan in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Jericho's defeated. Don't take any of the spoils. Okay, how did that happen? We beat that big army with the big walls. Wow. Now we go to Ai, and they go to Ai, they get whipped by a little town, and Joshua says, what happened? He said, because there was somebody in the camp here of the Israelites who took some of the spoils that were put on, you know, forbidden. And so he says, all right, let's gather the people of Israel. And they gathered the people of Israel. And so Israel's made up of 12 tribes. He says, you 11 tribes leave, it's in this tribe. Tribe is made up of clans. All you clans leave, it's this clan. Clan is made up of families. All you families leave, it's this family, and that's the family of Achan. Now, we have no knowledge that anyone else knew that he had done this. Probably didn't. Imagine he had a brother named Levi. Let's assume that Levi and Achan fought all the time. They hated each other like so many brothers do growing up. And, 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 he, and he hears that, oh, Achan did it. Well, good, he's going to get punished. And then God says, Take the lives of all the family. And he goes, whoa, 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 God, whoa, 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 whoa. I did not know he did this, God. In fact, had, he, had I known, I would have ratted on him knowing you'd kill him. I don't even like him. I mean, who knows how the story would go, but I'll tell you this. There had to be some, <gasps> but I think they knew. Because this is corporate personality. 
They understood that. Even in some places of the Eastern world to this day, you hire this person, you find out that their sibling is un, unemployed, they don't need another employee, but they say, we must hire both. You cannot separate family. You treat it as one. Corporate personality. And we say, well, I don't like corporate personality. Oh, no. Let's assume that there were no corporate personality. Well, we know that Adam sinned, so he's going to die. He has no hope. Let's say his child and his child and his child. Let's say somebody miraculously goes a lifetime and never sins. That would be rare, if not impossible. Who knows? But if it never happened, that person would get to go to heaven. But because of corporate personality, after all these people who would probably all sin anyway and all perish anyway, now there is hope because there is a second Adam and all are invited in this fallen people to come into this family. And any who choose to come into this family, when they choose to, they get treated as royalty, as righteous as Christ is himself. That's the good news. That's when my friend across the table this week said, oh, wow, that is amazing. And I said, it is amazing. It's called amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Now, it's not just Achan. There's Nehemiah. Nehemiah sees the sins of his fathers. And he comes to the place and he says, I will repent. I will repent for their sins, for they are mine. I actually, as my father left our family in immorality, I remember coming before the Lord, understanding this principle. And I said, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for what my father did. And you know what? People hear that and say, that is just wrong. Let me tell you, folks, it's corporate personality. See, if you don't get corporate personality, it's really hard to understand infant baptism. That God would treat a child because they're in a family? Yes, that's the way he does it. Now, with that, next week, here are the two that we're going to look at in this subject matter. Number four, question, is it accurate to say that because man sins, he is not good and will not choose Christ? Number five, is it possible to be elected by God? That means predestined and so forth. And still not come to faith in Christ? Then we're going to bridge into foreknowledge next week. And the predestination maybe. We'll see how far we get. But these questions are the questions we're going to look at. One, if God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, does this not mean that God destines some people to hell? And then number two question. If God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, upon what is it based? And when you hear that, your love of your salvation should increase. Now, let me close by simply saying, we study this subject matter because we get a larger perspective on God's love. And this larger perspective on God's love enhances our motivation to follow Jesus. So I would say, maybe this illustration would help. I'm at the gym, this has been years ago, but I'm at the gym and I'm, I'm on a running machine just exercising. And a man walks in, who's a good friend, and he comes up to the machine to talk. And now this is a man with zero body fat coming to a gym. 
He come, and, I, and you know what? I'm convinced this guy would never, ever add body fat, no matter what he ate, you know? It just, it's his, that's his body. And so, and, and I hate this man for that reason, but anyway, <laughs> he comes up and he says, uh, hey, what you doing? I told him, and I said, what are you about to do? He said, I'm going to get a machine, I'm going to run too. And I go, well, why are you going to run? I mean, look at you. Why do you run? You can be like that whether you run or not. He said, I don't. I, I do it just to, to, to stay healthy. Now, that's a good motivation. But you know what I'm going to say for me? If I had zero body fat and I knew I could eat anything and not exercise and still keep, I'm not sure I'd exercise as much, right? Because I have a second motivation. Let me tell you, think about that because that is so analogous to the people of the world today, the Christian church. Oh, tell me, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, yeah, I, I am. Jesus saved me. You know what? That's the person that I sit with over lunch. And I say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I really am. And I say, I just heard you say something about living with your girlfriend, though you're not married. What do you think God says about that? Well, I know it's not right, but, uh, but we love each other, and I think God understands, and da-da-da-da-da. And I say, yep, that's what happens, selective obedience. When your salvation is understood to be, I'm saved by Jesus. But then you begin to understand what that means, yeah, you were saved by Jesus because of something that happened in eternity past where he put his love on you before you ever came into this world. And then he actually destines you because of that love to a place to be with him forever and ever and ever. And then he calls us because there's nothing in us that wants him. And he calls us to open up our hearts. And when he does, he justifies us by going to the cross and not what so many people think. And he goes to the cross and, and then we give him our faith and we give him repentance. And he says, no, you didn't, even, you didn't even understand that you got those as gifts. And then as a result of that, you're going to be glorified and made perfect without sin forever and ever and ever. Let me tell you, now... There's a whole different perspective and saying, I know Jesus says not to, but you say, no, that's the one who went to Calvary's cross for me. But the reason he did that was because what he and his father and the spirit chose to do in eternity passed for me. Now we begin to say, I'm loved much and therefore I will love more. That's the beauty of understanding your salvation. We're going to get into that deeply as we now turn the corner next, next week and begin to see the golden chain of salvation in all of its beauty. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant us to understand your salvation, that our perspective of your love would grow bigger and bigger, and as a result, our love for you would go greater and greater, and that we would follow you as a result more and more. Grant it, we ask you, and I pray for those that are here outside the faith that they may see just the beauty of the cross and know that something happened about your love for them long before the cross so that he would die for them. Grant it, we pray. Give us understanding. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.